I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Where did this ferocious determination out there today come from? The media. Everyone of the up. Hello and welcome to Paper Talk. I'm Larry Ryan, standing in for Colm O'Connor as a bit crook. Um, special show for you today, much like Tip GA put on a, a special screening of France v Ireland at the Dome in Simple Stadium. We've extended the hand of friendship to rugby for the Monday podcast. So later you'll hear uh, Ron Lagara and Don Lenehan chat Sexton and all that with Tony Lean. But first, the serious business of the Alliance Hurling Leagues. A place where bellies are tested rather than wrists, according to Anthony Daly today. Um, the Irish Governor's Michael Moynihan was at Semple Stadium and Wexford Park this weekend. Uh, we'll come back to Tip Waterford, but first, uh, yesterday's game, Michael. Everybody's playing down the league, but John Myler um, said yesterday was more or less like a like a championship match in February. Was he talking up a little bit? or No, it was a great atmosphere, uh, 7,300 I think, but it's, it sounded like a lot more. And of course the narrative suited the crowd because it was 90% Wexford and... You know, they kind of augured into that like dramatic final few minutes when Wexford won it. So, yeah. you know, there was a great there was a great buzz there, and you know that has done to Davy Fitzgerald. But yeah, Moyer was right because it was it was competitive, but it was competitive in Wexford's terms because um, you know they're just a massively huge, strong, physical team. You know, really fit. They've obviously done a lot of work with Davy Fitzgerald as they did last year. And one common theme, every team that plays it seems to say they're two or three weeks ahead of them. So <laughs> eventually someone's going to catch up with them. But yeah, they, you know, they, they won by four points. They had about 14 wides. Some of them terrible if they'd taken half those. They had won comfortably. They were, they were the best team on the day. Is it Davy getting out ahead of everybody else? Is it, is it the physical side of things? Is the, is the difference at the moment? Or, I mean, it doesn't really matter. And the feel-good kind of thing of keeping winning is beneficial for them anyway, isn't it? Yeah, and as he said himself afterwards, like, it is a good habit. Uh, but I mean, some games are more significant than others. I mean, they won that that uh, Walsh Cup game against Kilkenny, which was a very big game for them, still psychologically to beat Kilkenny. But it also validates obviously Davies' punishing physical regime. He's known for getting his teams very fit very early, and that's that's going to be a challenge for them this year because I thought last year they ran out of steam a little bit in the summer, particularly when other teams have caught up when the yeah. ground is hard, when there's more of a onus on speed and skill, which is not to you know insult Wexford, but. You can tell, looking at them, they're stronger uh, on the soft ground and forwards. They can't get away from their defenders. You know, they're able to punish them physically. So that's going to be a big challenge for him because he's on the record. He's going to let them go back to their clubs for four weeks in April. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's going to be very tricky because, like with every other manager, you're letting some guys go back to a junior club where maybe yeah. the, the inter-county guy is the only fellow serious about his training. Then you're going back to some other clubs where they're probably, you know, just a bit crazy about their physical training. They may overwork guys. So that's going to be a challenge, not just for David, but for every manager, how to keep an eye on yeah. the conditioning of the guy for four weeks. It'll be interesting to keep an eye on the certain divide from the clubs in Wexford and April. I mean, if you are getting out two or three weeks ahead, 
is that going to, it, it would undo that good work oh, yeah. if, they, if they're and gone for four weeks you know, there. They, yeah, they, and they can also get stale and there's, not, yeah. there's, a, there's a chance of injuries. But quite obviously, you know, Davy has created a virtuous circle where there's a good buzz with the support, where the players have bought into it, they're getting results. So he wants to knock that on as long as he can. And, yeah. You know, despite all the talk from other managers saying, well, you know, we have to keep playing the summer and we don't want to overdo it now and we have to just scout out a few fellas who will be able to step in. There's obviously a benefit for him in getting to a league semi-final, league final, because, again, it validates the work and it gives him a good base going forward. It's funny that, you know, it was noticed on some of the Sundays, there was a bit of stuff filtering out from past players saying that maybe physically they hadn't been at the races yeah. for a couple of years. So, you know, when you come in, you can get fellas' body fat down, you can improve their bleed test times, etc. So straight away there's a tangible there's a yeah. tangible bounce. Look, you're you're better, you're skinnier, you're faster, you have to last longer, yeah. etc. So, you know, it's no wonder that he focuses on that because, you know, the players can see the benefit. No, the other side of it is how long how long can they stick that kind of punitive regime we don't think more than a couple of years you're, you're getting the magical buy-in that they yeah. talk about then from the from the players I suppose yeah, you see something there to yeah, and a lot of them are young too so it's good to get them into that habit but I, I just think about the third Christmas you're facing into that kind of purgatory yeah and eventually players say look you know in Dublin and Kerry or in you know, Kilkenny in their pomp you know they held back a bit they kept for this fresh and they knew this, this great line I need to listen to my body from players, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I know when I'm right, yeah. this kind of thing. So that's, but that's another challenge, and I think that, that comes later in the cycle. Right now, right now, Davies at the peak of it because yeah. he's gotten to know last year, got some good results. So he'll be looking. He'll be looking for. He'll be looking for a couple of scouts this year. It's a bit. It's almost a bit like the Premier League managers now with the three with their kind of three yeah. year three yeah. year projects that yeah. you can you know after a couple of years the, the, the lads are already stopping listening to them. Yeah, and I, th- I think part of it is part of it is compared to the quote unquote long ago in the GA. Because the manager was there so much, you know, there was a time that maybe fellas fell back in February or March, and then if they were in July. But no, they're going so long that I think yeah. players just get tired of hearing the voice and say, particularly through the physical trainer, because he's probably there so much that he almost has an impossible job because he's trying to keep fellas fresh and keep their appetite up for, you know, punishing physical work. And yet, you know, fellas are obviously sick of listening to him. And the same goes for the manager. Then it's... Sometimes they don't need even the message or the results. It's just that you're hearing this guy four or five nights a week for eight months of the year. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to say people's life partners, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of run of patience with that. But, yeah. you know, it, 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 is a, it is a lot. And, and it, as you say, you know, that kind of cycle has, has shortened considerably. So, and, and Cork got off the good start, clinical goal from, well taken goal from Connolly Hamp, but actually was kind of missed goal chances, let him down towards the finish. Probably yeah. could have won it really, would have been yeah, more. They, um, they could have, but it, it would have been a rob, you know, because Wexford bossed the second half. Yeah. Know, certainly. But it's funny, I mean, it's half full and half empty. I said to John Moyer afterwards that these were the kinds, those were the kinds of games that we say those younger players learn a lot from because things are going against them and the crowd is in on top of them and so on and so forth and they can bank that experience and he said well you can bank the experience I'm paraphrasing you can bank the experience if you get those goals at the end and certainly I'd say they should have converted at least one of the chances and if they had I think it would have caused panic um, Shane Kingston had a very good chance mm. uh, not a great day for the officials because <laughs> the goalkeeper threw the hurley at him I saw that yeah, yeah. Not, not, nothing came of it that's still a yellow card, isn't it, Michael? Oh, yeah, 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 it's yeah, not, yeah. A, not a red, he says. Yeah. It, it was thrown with a fair amount of intent. <laughs> 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 whistled past his ear. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I suppose 
from Cork's perspective, the fact that they created, say, four good goal chances, but only took one, that's the, that's the half-empty version of the Aussie class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Dalo was in, writing in the paper today, kind of reckoned, you know, February is for testing bellies rather than wrists, and felt maybe Cork were out-battled a bit second half, and that maybe that's something they need to start to look at. Would you, would you see it like that? Or certainly look, looking at the age profile, the experience profile, like of a lot of the guys, particularly up front for Cork, you'd say that these are guys who shone in June and July, you know, very hard grown, able to exploit their pace, able to get away. They couldn't do that yesterday. And you know, Wexford bullied them, not 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 in a fouling way, yeah. but they used their greater physical strength, etc. They held Cork guys off, they slowed the ball on, they you know, they were able to win it then out of gangs and rocks, kind of like <laughs> like the rugby, but you yeah. know, in fairness in fairness to Cork I think for all that they lost their way, they still were in there with a shout um, at the very end, you know, even though that would have been, as I say, the greatest robbery of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Saturday night then in Turles, um, Derek Grad just more or less said it's all about discovery for Waterford. So what, what has he discovered or what has he discovered so far? I suppose he's discovered a nice little injury for Austin Gleeson, uh, yeah. uh, which will be a worry because... Um, Funny enough, they played Gleeson as centre-back, which is a discovery for them in a way, because I think all of Waterford has wanted him to settle down somewhere, maybe to have a few games yeah. as centre-back to play himself into a bit of form and so on and so forth. He was doing okay until he, until he got hurt. See, where would you would you see him there? Well, I suppose traditionally, you know, yourself, the best player in the team plays centre-back because he's a play in front of him and he can dominate, yeah. the, dominate the game. The one thing about Gleeson is that I suppose he can score which is the hardest thing to do and you're always loath to move a scoring guy away from the goal but say last year I, I would have made the argument for moving him back to centre back when he wasn't going well give him 20 minutes of centre back to play himself into the game get his eye in come up the field and impose himself on the game mm-hmm. because the way, the way the game is going now you can't really take the centre back out of the game if he chooses not to, because yeah. you, you can you can let him go and chances are you've got someone looks like Ty DeBoer in Waterford's case who can pick him up. So in actual fact, I think the system would probably suit, suit Gleeson, but you know you're missing out then on maybe four or five points from play. And yeah. that's and the way the way every team, never mind just Waterford, the way every team plays, you can't really pass that up either. Um, Ronan Mardin when, when made the opposite journey for uh, for Tip, who went to midfield again, um, how did he fare there? And is he is he he did well there? But is he is he a viable option? Uh, yeah, I see. For the was, there? Like nowadays, I mean, there was a time you had one guy who'd stick and one guy who'd run. But no, really, both both of them have to run. Yeah, both of them have to be real athletes. Um, uh, Dara Fitzgibbons, David Bork, Brendan Maher. No, who's super mobile with a very good game. See, Ronan Maher is the kind of guy to me. Like twenty years ago would have been your thirty years ago, your classical midfielder, yeah, winning puck outs, two or three points in play, lovely striker from freeze and sidelines. And I suppose the one health warning with his four points is that they kinda of came really when when Watford got out of the game and they were they were kinda of loose. But you know, it was interesting to me they played Paddy Maher at centre back when usually he's been on the wing and mm. kind of drifted in, in and out of the centre. So you know, to me, I think Ron Mar would have to play centre back. I'm not sure if he'd just have that sheer speed, that sheer, you know, acceleration. Yeah. And the likes of Jamie Barron and Dara Fitzgibbon and Paul Brown and these guys are really travelling. Yeah. Like they are they are athletes after all and like I think Ron Ronan would be a guy who could dominate the game from centre back. Again, 
you know, if he chooses to play that way. He's doing a fair bit of experiment around the middle, um, Michael Ryan, with, with Carl Barrett as well. Yeah. T- tried there. He's obviously looking for something in the, in the middle of the field that he wasn't happy with maybe last year. Yeah, I mean, and Barrett is your classic case of someone who's, who's just so quick that, you know, he can puncture through the other half-backs mm. uh, if he gets the chance. But, again, can you afford to take him out? He's such a good man-marker that really, yeah. if you put him on the opposition's best forward, you're, you're, you're definitely going to break even, at least. Yeah. Uh, if not if if not better. I mean it's interesting that Michael Green was playing corner forward. I actually played corner forward, but I think they probably had a specific job for him in the sense that Waterford Short Poco Spring stood off his man, then pushed up when the short poco came. I think they've got at least two, if not three points from that, because you know, he covered the ground, put his man under pressure, turned the ball over and won freeze and one possession, etc. So you know, that was horses for courses I could see for Waterford, but I wouldn't see Breen playing corner forward against yeah. against Cork necessarily say. But there, there was a, I suppose, a speculation about what to do with Breen a yeah. little bit. People were sort of suggesting he should be going to the other end of the field, maybe yeah. play, play fullback or um, or centre back. Yeah, see, um, he's, he's, he's an athlete and he's yeah. powerful. And he's strong. I mean, he's he's a guy. He's kind of a little bit like Leeson, Austin Leeson as well, because you say here's a guy with, with all of the tools, but how do we, how do we apply them? Yes. You know, like thirty years ago, we had a role for him. He was a dashing centre fielder who burst through the middle. But like last year, no, went went awry for him a little bit. And you kind of, kind of compare him a little bit me to me now with Kieran Berg and Jason Ford, these guys who appear to have all the tools but don't quite have a role that suits them or that you can get the best out of them. They can kind of yeah. do a job for you every now and again, but you're kind of saying, you know, is this guy really a right half back? Is he a midfielder? Hmm. You know, he is, he is in this game, but he's not in the next game. Ford is the other one. He's on the freeze now with that bit of extra responsibility. I suppose people are saying it's a, it's a big year for him to kind of. Finally, force his way into the tip team, really. Yeah. Um, well, how's, he, how's he getting on? Yeah, to me, to me, the tip, the tip issue is kind of like balance, the balance. You say, particularly in the forwards and who they have, and you know, do they want workers or players, and you know, this whole thing can bubbles and no one will get playing the same team because then you straight away have two guys who are maybe unfairly tagged, like not working hard enough, etc. So, like Ford, to me, has a great opportunity, maybe as a a hard-working wing forward, a kind of a McCormick type, but maybe more of a scoring edge to him. Mm. But then, if you play the two of them, you're going to have to start leaving people out. Mm. And I don't think I don't think Tip could afford to leave Bonner Maher out. You know, and can they go without Noel McGrath when all is said and done? Like, you know, it's funny that the kind of demolition of traditional positions in hurling to me means now you have kind of ministers without portfolio. You guys who 30 years ago would have been perfect wing forward, the perfect corner forwards, but now they have to, they have to perform different roles. Like, Noel McGrath is your perfect example of that now for me. Mm. So, then and their sort of role to discovery, is there anything finally about that you, did you see, maybe they're tweaking the way they're playing or anything, or any views towards summer, or is it purely about looking at players at this stage rather than systems? Yeah, I would say they're, I would say they're just trying to see if guys can do a job. There was a lot of attention out to Mikey Carney, who's been very good for CIT and been on the fringes and he got three points from playing a losing battle. So you'd say here's a guy, you know, who's putting his hand up. But I suppose the great unknown for Derek Gray and for Michael Ryan, for all of them, is how this is going to work out in the summer. Uh, when you are going to take have to take guys out and put them in. And because of that I think the league is a real phony war and it's really interesting the way 
nearly all of the managers say, well, there wouldn't be anything that bad we're going to one B because Galway won the other and all won't be. Like, they'd hear that from their county board straight away because if you're in one B, the backside falls out financially straight away because nobody wants to go and see Offaly and Antrim. They all see Cork and Tip and sure. Kilkenny and all this kind of stuff. So that's, that's, that's the onus. See, I don't think Waterford have really new names. The guys they have are fellas on the panel. So it's basically... Uh, the cynic in you would say it's a chance to, that for us play them as out of contention maybe yeah. and for management to kind of firm up their ideas of who, who they like and that cuts across to all all managers and um, a friend of mine often says that you know if you could see their programme notes afterwards you see red lines two <laughs> fellas who've just excluded themselves and yeah. made the, the manager's life, life a lot easier but you know Derek McGrath has said you know they're behind in terms of their training etc so they're obviously focused on on the summer, uh, and at the moment you can see it. You know, they're they're casting on for a bit of form. It's not just about the man in front of you; it's the team behind you. You fight together, or you fall together. Only one team can stand tall. Ronan O'Gara. Donald Lenehan and Simon Lewis write exclusively for the Irish Examiner throughout the rugby season. For their brilliant insights on this week's key matches, get behind the Irish Examiner. One thing I'd like to talk about, um, an awful lot of euphoria, Raj, after, on Saturday evening, and you know, you were caught up in it yourself, you said you were buzzing in, this, in, in the TV studio. 24 hours later, looking at this morning's papers seems to be a shift I mean is it that 24 hours that people have said okay hold on a second you know it was brilliant and it was euphoric in the last minute but it was a performance that was disappointing for a side um, is that unfair? a little bit maybe I think as you know in those situations Tony like performance is secondary especially in the first game it's all about momentum the most important thing getting out of there it was the win and I thought people beforehand probably just took it for granted that France were going, or Ireland mm. were going to win in France and I don't understand that mindset you know mm. uh, extremely difficult place to go there was periods of the game where Ireland looked very comfortable but I don't I'll tell you better than anyone you're going there if you can't make the lead greater than 6 or 7 points French are going to have a purple patch they didn't even need a pur- purple patch they needed a moment of brilliance from Teddy Thomas mm. and after that, then France did have their purple patch. It wasn't the Teddy Thomas try. It was the kind of winning the penalty from the scrum, which had an opportunity to kill the game because if it one became a four-point lead, I don't think... Bellows penalty, yeah. Yeah, and there's question marks around that too from a French point of view. Why would you make... or Why would you let Bellow take it when Machinot was on the pitch? Mm. So, like, France weren't ruthless. And fast forward... To the end of the game, Ireland or Johnny Sexton was devastatingly ruthless. Did you though? I mean, and I was watching you. You were saying at halftime you disagreed with the two lads in the studio. You felt that if Ireland did put it out to a two-score game, that the French would crumble. I mean, we actually never got to see that. I mean, was it as fine a margin as that with the French? Is it always as fine a margin with that as with the French? No, I think they were playing for each other and they played for their public and they went hard at the game. But the reality is they don't have a definite game plan. Mm. They don't know how they want to play the game. There's no evidence. There's not enough time on the training pitch. They don't have many leaders on that team at the minute. There's a difference between Gerardo's mindset, I would say, to um, an awful lot of the younger players in that in that group coming through. So, you know what I mean? That's the 
big difference between Ireland and France at the minute. Ireland are very settled in how they want to play with France. They don't know how they want to play. And the other key point was discipline. Like some oh, of yeah. you know, I mean, Garada got man of the match. Yet, if you know your rugby, there's no way in the world he should got man of the match after one decision alone. When you, for whatever reason, decide to lie on the ball and just mm-hmm. give me a give me three points. Yeah. It's from a teammate's point of view, as the captain, you just break all trust in your teammates. Donald, you came home uh, Sunday night from Paris. You had 24 hours of reflection. I suppose to simplify the question. As an overall one to eighty minutes, mark that Irish performance given all the circumstances out of ten. Well, I think seventy-eight to eighty-three was probably eleven out of ten. Mm. Uh, the previous seventy-eight minutes, you'd probably say six and a half. I mean, there were aspects of the Irish performance that were disappointing. I would say uncharacteristic for an Irish team. A lot of unforced errors, uh, knock-ons, uh, just not the seamless performance that uh, you tend to get from an Irish team under Joe Schmidt. I think we saw evidence of that. Ireland normally are ruthless when they get camped in the opposition 22. They stay there, they apply relentless pressure, they go through multi-phase rugby and generally leave either with a penalty and three points or a try. Mm. On this occasion, I think they were turned over twice in that area of the field and they also gave away two penalties. Now, that relieved pressure off a French side, really, who were hanging in there. Um, You know, as Ronan says, they were a new group that were brought together. Um, they were always going to be up for the game, the, you know, the passion. An awful lot of guys who were getting their first opportunity to play in the championship. Um, so that was a big deal, obviously. Um, but, I mean, I'd seen... I saw a video that came out of the French training camp in Marcuse during the week. And it was the players doing sort of games, you know, stacking plastic cups in a pile uh, with blindfolds, walking through a grid system. In other words, developing trust. I mean, they're the type of things you do with a Lions tour party. Yeah. A week before you go way off on tour with a group of people who've never met before. Mm. This is four days before the start of the Six Nations when Joe Schmidt is fine-tuning what colour laces you're going to put into your boots. Do you know what I mean? And that's, so, having looked at it since, I think it's now the perfect scenario. because For Ireland. For Ireland, mm. in that you won a game that you probably would have lost had Bellew or Machinot taken that penalty. I mean, four points down, two minutes to go, you had to score a try. Uh, I suppose a disappointing point. Like Ireland didn't really look like scoring no. a try in the game. But all of a sudden, you go into camp, you're euphoric because of the manner of the win and because you won in Paris, and you know it hasn't happened that often. So, But then, I can <coughs> to be a dose of reality, addressing the issues that didn't go quite as well. Uh, and but you're still no. You've won away. I mean, Ireland had only won one of their last five away games in the Six Nations Championship. So therefore, getting that away monkey off your back in a way, three home games, you're sort of the focus is a little bit shift now to Wales. You mentioned earlier Wales and uh, England will be the game of the championship next weekend. Yeah. So it's almost as if Ireland can now get on with their business out of, out of the limelight to a degree, at yeah. least for another week or two. So overall, areas of concern, but given the personnel involved in the management setup at Ireland, I wouldn't be worried that they can't be rectified. In the TV interview afterwards, one of the things, um, and Rod, you know him a lot better, obviously, um, Sexton was very matter-of-fact. And he did make the point, Donald, about he was desperate for a second chance. He was obviously referring to the penalty he'd missed just after the hour, pulled it wide, would have made it a two-score game, 
If we didn't have the climax we did, would the narrative this morning be about Sexton and, you know, I hark back to that famous Miss Penalty against New Zealand, you know, key moments, key misses, because he almost alluded to it himself by saying, I was desperate for that second chance. <coughs> I think that's too easy for a guy like Sexton who's proved himself time and time again um, on the international stage. Uh, I mean, no better guy than the fellow next to me to explain the mindset of what happens. I think he's at a stage in his career. Yes, he was disappointed to miss the kick. <coughs> mm. I would say, I think it was 62 minutes, so there was 18 minutes to play Ireland. Okay, It would have put them within two scores, which I think would have made a difference in that last period. Mm. But he's the kind of guy who just compartmentalises that, address it afterwards. And I think the quality of the player and uh, the caricature of him was that he was able to put it away. Mm. I mean, in that sequence at the end, by virtue of the fact, I mean, I was there looking down. He was on the ground for a brief period with cramp. With cramp. Yet, has the, 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 the Where were mindset yeah. to be able to get up, get himself back into the right position and execute under unbelievable pressure. Yeah, you're talking about, you actually were very impressive in terms of your explanation of the execution. Um, in terms of what was the most difficult element of what he faced, Raj? Was it the pressure of the situation? Was it the distance? Was it the greasy conditions? Um, because you kind of suggested like Murray did actually give him the optimum opportunity with the pass. Yeah, I think there was a number of factors involved. I, I suppose um, what was pleasantly surprising was the fact that for me, it didn't really look even at that stage. I thought they were going to have to play 60 phases mm. to give him a realistic shot, you know, because it was... You look at even when he took it, it was kind of a great um, relationship between himself and Connor. All of a sudden, I think Johnny, listening to what Connor said after the game, yeah, he just kind of raised his eyebrows at, at Connor. Mm -hmm. That was their non-verbal communication, mm -hmm. and that, you know, I mean, that's what happens between when you have time and trust between you. That's all you need, you know. It's just literally a flick of that to say I'm on. But like you could see it serious acceleration to get into the position and then the ease at which he caught the ball and placed it and it was over the middle of the middle mm. I mean the ball didn't sneak, uh, sneak in mm. like it couldn't have been more down the middle but it was third, it was probably the fourth element in what was a very impressive I go back to the, to what I said there a minute ago impressive stretch of balls if you want to call it by Sexton with the restart the restart was a great kick but great chase and the kick and uh, the yeah, it's cross field learnings for everyone there is that you know what I mean it's a saying that's you drive me mad you know, your kick is only as good as your chase and you'd be there what are you talking about but like mm. that is exactly uh, and I know it's an issue that annoys you about the box kicks but like a lot of box kicks are bad if they're not a good chase yeah you know so like the kick off it's a whole video in itself correct yeah um, was the was the cross field kick Perfectly executed, yeah. or was it a mad risk at that moment? No, no, not a mad risk. As you saw, sure, for 35 phases, we're going nowhere. Like, mm, yeah. you know what I mean? I think in your mind, well, and the fella on the player, he's the one fella that can change. But that's the, that's the amazing thing sitting in the stand. You know, I haven't seen the thing on television yet, but when you're sitting up in the stand and you are going through this multiple phase, but you're actually going nowhere. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen time and time again teams who rehearse this type of scenario. But normally it's, you know, in and around the 22 or from 30 to 35 metres out. This is on a greasy day in a possible condition. And to be fair to France, they defended really well in that period. 
right throughout the game, I thought they were way more competitive in the breakdown than I've seen French teams before. Yeah. They um, Overall, their back row, I think, outplayed Ireland for long periods of the game. Mm. Um, and as a consequence, Conor Murray was waiting, waiting, and that plays into the defence. And in those conditions, you can afford to defend that little bit narrower because you know it's more difficult to get the ball out wide. Mm. So it played into the way France, um, it, it suited them on the day. But I suppose the point is um, making the decision to go for it then in that position on the field like, was an unbelievably gutsy decision. Um, and it was the perfect kick. I'd say if he did it nine times out of ten, he'd never hit it as well again. And it goes back, I think, to your initial question, Tony, about being a different narrative. I think it's a great point in the fact that if we had lost that ball from a cross kick, for example, and a knock-on, it was nearly, for me watching the studio, it was nearly, OK, we've accepted it. Mm. And I think you'd have seen a load of four mm. out of tens, yeah. five out of tens in, in terms of individual performances and Johnny miss kick would have been highlighted and mm. a bit, you know so there the tiny margins you're, you're, you're talking about and it's actually very interesting and when you look at it in that regard but like you're told to play for 80 minutes mm. and one of the great things I think one of the clips I saw after the event is on the drop kick the two newest players to the ball not regarding Palace the 15 for France are you know what I mean? Two Irish chasers. Mm. So, like, talk about mindset. Yeah. It's the post there, there. Yeah, they are there. One of them, I think, is Hendy, um, and the other guy is Arzi, you know? Mm. You mentioned, Donald, um, the lack of uh, a, a, a try or an, uh, even the opportunity to create a try. Uh-huh. The fact that it is Italy, and that's no disrespect to Italy, but it's Italy and Dublin, does that give Schmidt the chance to actually shuffle the pack a small bit this week? Well, I think you probably have thought about that in advance of the game. Um, you know, I, I, I've only seen highlights of the Italian game, but I saw Conor O'Shea interviewed after the game. We have a, a, one advantage in that we have a seven-day turnaround, they have a six-day mm-hmm. turnaround. So Italy had highlighted uh, probably a number of changes in their um, team to play next weekend. Joe Schmidt normally isn't one for meddling, and he's not one for experimentation. But I wouldn't be surprised if Jordan Larmer was brought into the match day 23. Mm. It's that type of game. There seemed to be a lot of space uh, defensively for England to attack. I mean, he has been absolutely <coughs> electric. I mean, if you were to decide now, will that guy play in the World Cup in a year and a half? You'd have to say yeah. absolutely yes. Mm. So therefore, when do you start? You go back to the decision to start James Ryan in a Six Nations Championship away in Paris. Uh, for Devon Toner, who, to be fair, has had a really good season for Leinster. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so the mindset is there to give these players. They are good enough. It's not a question of, um, you know, trying them out in the hope that... But like, I think there's an element to that with France, like throwing in Jalabert at 19. That's an investment in the future. Whereas I think Joe Schmidt can pick the likes of James Ryan, Stockdale and Larmour, knowing... That there's he's ninety five percent confident that they have the capacity to perform at that level. He's not one to really change his team a whole lot, but there could be one or two mm. tweaks. I think, yeah, there is. It's an interesting selection yeah, yeah. this this weekend. Even considering the way the game went, I suppose 
you know I me mean? I think you missed someone like Sean O'Brien's ballast the last day just his capacity to do something well, I thought Levy was outstanding yeah. when he came in he yeah. really had a big physical aspect you're right and I think he has been very impressive all season he was a guy that spending that week in the summer tour with him hugely impressive attitude mm. mad keen to learn but it's a hard nut but he, he, he strikes me as a guy who just because the competition is so deep in Leinster he realises that every minute that he gets on the field be it starting or coming off the bench that he has to give big moments uh, he played Montpellier away I think he was playing 6 Van der Fleer was 7 really impressive that day you go back to Stephen's Day in Tobin Park when an understrength Leinster team beat what was more or less Munster's first side. Yeah. He was the difference. Mm. He was outstanding that day. And I think he's, uh, well, I, I, I would imagine Van der Fleer appears to be out oh, injury-wise, yeah. so I'd be amazed, given that Sean O'Brien won't be available for this game if Levy doesn't start next Saturday. Mm. So there's one change for you. James Ryan, Rog, I don't know how much you had seen of him. There's been a lot of talk about him. Um, I must admit, I thought he absolutely lived up to expectations. Yeah. People are talking about rookies in the French team. He was outstanding. Yeah, and another guy that kind of scored with his first touch in, in the States in the tour. Mm. First uh, receiving pass was a try for Ireland. His first touch in international rugby. So yeah. um, you just kind of get a feeling or a vibe off a guy and he just feels very comfortable. Mm. Mm. I mean, I don't think he's flustered or fussed and he kind of... I'd say he's the kind of, I'd love to get a real interview with him. I'd say he's kind of going, what's all this about? I'm yeah. ready now to rip people's head off. Yeah, I want yeah. to go. One last question for you. Uh, I know obviously Paris is in the rear view mirror there, but you've been tracking Dunnick Ryan's form. And yeah. he seems to have absolutely hit top form. There must, even for Munster fans and Irish fans, and Zebo the same, there still has to be a small sense of, God, wouldn't we be that bit stronger if we had the likes of Dunnick and Zebo? I went through this thought process in my head, but it's finished. It's not going to happen. Ty Byrne is going to come in next into the Irish, I would say, fourth choice, second row. Mm. So that's the reality of it. That's the way the game is going. Tonica is a fantastic player. I think his depth of knowledge around the subject of rugby is fascinating. And I think having spent time with Paul O'Connell and Joe Schmidt has made him really the finished article. Um, He's a deep kind of a fellow anyway, isn't he? I mean, he's very intelligent. Like he went off and he got injured, uh, studied geology. Do you know what I mean? He just left field. And I actually, I agree with you. I've spent a fair bit of time in his company over the years. Uh, I mean, uh, I remember interviewing him to come into the Munster Academy. And uh, like he was this raw bone young fellow. He was in the interview with his father. And he says to me, you know, I'd give my right arm, he says, to play for Munster. He says, but if the Tipperary hurlers need me, you have to release me. Yeah. So I said, if the Tipperary hurlers need you, Donica, they're in a worse shape than we thought they were in. <laughs> but uh, that's the type of fellow he is. But he, yeah. he actually plays a bit of the village idiot at times. Yeah. But that guy knows exactly what's happening. He knew, I mean, uh, you were in New Zealand, but the racing game in, in yeah, the yeah, arena, yeah. he was... Spectacular in a lot of you know not, not in a in a in a flashy way but mm. just work rate, cuteness, yeah. pressure on the opposition, wanting yeah. it too, isn't exactly. it? You know yeah. what I mean? You yeah. just summed it up and gone getting that restart. Like it wasn't a restart on the money. Yes, he sprinted twenty two yards. Yes, and then had the capacity to restrain himself to not kind of bowl your man over, get the ball. You know. Yeah, it's a fair skill. Yeah, but gentlemen, thank you. It's uh, been interesting. We have another. 
Four, five, four games still to go. Obviously, three of them at home. Um, no one's talking about March 17 just yet. Let's get Italy, Wales, and Scotland out of the way first. Thanks a million for joining us. See you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 